Welcome back. That's the intro. PlayStation. This is part two of the 48 Laws of Power. And this time I want to tell you how to maintain power. And if that don't take too long, I'm going to tell you how to defend your power. But my guess is I'm going to have a little bit to say. So without further ado, let's get into it. Part two of two or potentially two of three for this 48 Laws of Power series. The way I'm structuring this book as a podcast is that I'm sectioning the laws into how to gain power, how to maintain power, and how to defend power. Because as you read the book linearly from 1 to 48, there is not much of a structure. So it makes it difficult to remember the laws in that way if you hear them just through this podcast. If you never read the book, which I do recommend you read the book. I read all of Robert Greene's books. Love them. Think they're great. But I knew that if somebody only listened to this, then I needed to present it in such a way that was digestible. I needed to package it properly. And so that's why I'm doing it this way. I'm giving you some context, a lens to view. So last time I discussed a bunch of things, a bunch of rules, and most of the rules apply to, in my opinion, when I laid this all out. Most of the rules apply to gaining power. Maintaining and defending are each 25% and 25%. I would say 50% of the rules are gaining. So today is how to maintain. You've used the laws, you've applied everything you learned from the first episode, or you're making it happen, you're on your way up. If you're not at this point, or eventually you will get there, Here are the laws that you should be focusing on now and consistently. So as you're gaining power from day one, kind of keep these things in mind so that you're taking long-term actions rather than just gaining power in a sort of haphazard way. You are mediating your own moves with these balancing moves, suggestions, or laws of power and again if the episode isn't so long like further than an hour i'll get into how to defend your power which is broken down into defensive and offensive so let's get into that right now again because of how i'm coming across the information as i present it to you there may be moments where there's pauses or instances of me just trying to find my place as I move through all this. So I will take one final look here. Yes, I see that. Okay, cool. So the first law is never outshine the master. That is literally the first law, law one, and the first law that applies to maintaining power. You do not want to outshine the master. Always make those above you feel comfortably superior. Okay, the image for this one is the sun. There can only be one sun, right? Apply it literally to like a religion, the son of God, there's one. Even though Jesus had a brother, there is one son, right? And in the same way, when we look up during the day, 
that singular sun that we see blocks out all the other stars. It's not until that sun goes away and the moon comes out, the night gets black and dark, and we can see all the other suns or stars that exist. But for the time being, there is only one. And to outshine the master is to make them feel uncomfortable. And in that way, the person who is above you, and be objective about it, don't be upset about it, people are going to be better than you in multiple ways throughout your entire life. Some things you can become the best at. That takes a lot though. It takes an extreme amount of effort and you're likely to only be the very best in the world at one thing. And even then, it wouldn't last so long. So just recognize that it's not just in your workplace environment, like having a boss, but all these different things. Even within groups, say you're in a group of 20 people, the best person at that thing is the best person at that thing. You should act as if they are the best in the world because that's the group you're engaging with. If you just pretend that, well, not pretend, if you just focus on the fact that there's somebody else in the world who's likely better than them and you just, you know, you're crass in your interactions with them and interdynamically with the group, it's going gonna, it's gonna to set you back so far. <sighs> so many politics at play, you know? So let them feel secure. The king and the queen wants to feel secure in their positions. Otherwise, it's like, oh shit, here's this dissident. I have to take care of them. I have to chop their head off. Otherwise, they're clearly indicating that they want mine, you know? The reversal for this is that you can't worry about upsetting every person. So yes, be aware. Don't outshine the master. And as I said, everybody is better at you in some way at something, right? But you can't be upset (laughs) with yourself for upsetting somebody else. It's just going to happen. And not everybody is going to be so offended that they feel they need to do something to spite you. But generally, people in power want to remain in power. And so if you make them feel as if you're coming for their position, they're going to want to do something about it. Next up is law two. Two, literally law two. Never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. This one hits home for me. Be wary of friends. They are often spoiled and tyrannical easily because they know who you are. They've had the good treatment. Your friends have, you know, gotten the best of you. Literally, they've received the best versions of you. And if they don't get that, they can become upset so easily. Because it's like, oh, I thought we were friends, you know. Or like, how could you treat me like this? We're friends. (laughs) Right? So if you decide to partition your time, your energy, attention, any of these things, especially all of them together, people can become jealous. They can get angry. They can get upset and they can, because they're emotional, lash out, do something that's not right. So here's a quote by Diane de Poitiers. To have a good enemy, choose a friend. He knows where to strike. Your friends know your weaknesses, especially if you've been friends after many, many years. They know all of your weak points. So the law is never put too much trust in friends because They know where to hit. Learn how to use enemies. You've probably heard that 
using somebody who is an enemy or giving grace to somebody who should be punished by you will oftentimes be more loyal than a friend would because a friend is like takes it for granted they just deserve you right like your friends you have to treat they you know they're yeah they expect that you would have to treat them as best as possible and you know you just grow complacent and grow comfortable and it's easy but somebody who were to cross you and then you give grace they will be like oh shit this person spared me like i i really have to be in good standing with them i have to be right i have to do right and i have to treat them accordingly for saving my hide but a friend is just like yeah you better treat me this way you know like <laughs> you get it right here is a quote by Tacitus. Men are more ready to pay, more ready to repay an injury than a benefit because gratitude is a burden and revenge is a pleasure. Men are more ready to pay an injury than a benefit. So all the years that you've benefited somebody, they are kind of in debt to you, right? They are, should be gracious, if that's the way to use the word gratitude. They should be gracious for everything you've done for them. And if you're not doing things for your friends, well, that's kind of a whole other topic. You should be providing value at all times. And so your friends should be grateful to have you as a friend, right? But that gratitude is a burden. However, if at any point you cross them intentionally, unintentionally, whatever, you know, you don't do something right, you don't show up at the right time or, you know, just whatever, you don't like enough of their posts, anything, it is a pleasure to give that revenge, to be sour back, or to really do something to, you know, proceed in that direction of sourness. Like, you hurt them, so now they're going to hurt you worse. That revenge is a pleasure versus the burden of gratitude. Without enemies around us, we grow lazy. An enemy at our heels sharpens our wits, keeps us focused and alert. So having an enemy is great. I'll mention it in the 33 Strategies of War, but enemy comes from the word enemicus, which means not a friend. So your enemy is literally somebody who is not a friend. Watch out for your friends and learn how to pe use people who are not your friend. You can use them to bring them over to your side and become friends. There's all the benefits of that. The Abraham Lincoln quote, have I not destroyed my enemy by making him my friend? is so very true but also having an enemy is a utility it's useful to have an enemy it polarizes you and it helps you to see what you're fighting against it gives you a point to rally against a thing to focus on and call the bad guy you can't be red team unless there's a blue team right so having an enemy gives you an opposite team to even go against how can you play soccer if there's not another team? If it's just skins and no shirts to play against, well, then there's no game to be played. You have to have skins and shirts, right? So enemies are useful. Learn how to use them uh, in both ways, every way that will benefit you. The authority portion is a quote by Balistar Gracian, and it says, part of it, you must learn to grab a sword, not by its blade, which would cut you, but by the handle, which allows you to defend yourself. 
So kind of an abstract way of learning how to use enemies. The reversal is that the problem about working with friends is that it confuses the boundaries and distances that working requires. But if both partners in the arrangement understand the dangers involved, a friend can often be employed to a great effect. So again, it's just like, sometimes it gets messy. It's like, don't bring family into business. Well, yeah, oftentimes that's good advice. But sometimes bringing a family into the business can be the best thing because you guys have that blood connection. If it's real and it's legit and you should be together as partners for whatever venture, you know, business included or not, you can get some great things done, right? Like you guys are friends for a reason. Hopefully you guys work well together. So just be aware, like you can be friends with somebody and not bring them into certain ventures in your life. But if you do make sure that it's for the right reasons and you guys are making it happen. Otherwise, you know, use enemies, use people who are not your friends because they have something to prove. Hiring somebody new versus hiring a friend, a friend's just going to be like, oh yeah, duh, I deserve this. It's like nepotism. Like, of course I'm going to be here, bro. Like, are you going to work hard though? Eh, maybe. But somebody who needs the job, who doesn't know you, they're like, okay, I got to show up on time. I got to do my best every day. I got to, you know, put on a smiling face, all those things, hopefully, <laughs> if you're a good hire, you know. Next up is law three and is the third point as well. Conceal your intentions. Keep people off balance. If they have no clue what you're up to, they cannot prepare a defense. So this helps you to maintain power because if you are acting appropriately by concealing your uh, intentions and not just giving it all up, then oftentimes you will be defending yourself passively. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that necessarily because I'll save it and that idea, that concept of passive defense for when I get to the section of defending your power. But by concealing your intentions, you're not giving away information. You're not saying too much, which gives the other person the fuel that they would need to plan a strategy of attack. Right, Because if nobody knows what you're up to, well, how the fuck do they prepare? And in the same way, it's kind of like it has to be learned. You have to do it. You have to actually experience it in your own life to see the power. And that goes with all of these laws, by the way. Me talking and just telling you does, I don't want to say very little, but it does little to give you the full picture. All of my podcasts, all of my points, everything that I say. You have to live it for yourself to truly understand. The reason that I take the time to make these episodes is because I've lived out these points from all the episodes. And I know the magnitude of power that they have. And so I got to bring them to you because I know that they are so fucking worthwhile. So this is one of those things that is really very true. You have to see it play out in your own life to understand like, oh yeah, I don't need to say everything. I don't need to explain myself so totally and just like things you don't uh, anticipate. Not giving away information at certain times just unintentionally, just by like not saying it, can work out in your favor and you'll look back and be like, oh shit, if I had kept speaking and saying what I was going to do or what I 
planned to do with the things that I had, the resources, you know, whatever, then things would have turned out so differently. So in my own life, there have been times where I've said something, like I've asked a question or made a statement and everybody laughed because they thought I was being sarcastic or like presenting myself as naive intentionally to make a joke or like pretending to be stupid and not know. And everybody laughs and I just stop there. I don't reveal that I actually don't know the answer. Because then it's like, it turns around. It's so much better for me to just leave the interaction, take the laughs and get, you know, the good energy, go home later and Google the answer or ask somebody else. So that's a very real thing. You know, I go halfway sometimes. If I notice that I'm getting the positive response that really I would want, then I don't keep talking. You know, if I don't get what I intended to get, the information or the response or action, whatever, but I'm getting a positive one and I can recognize in the moment, like if I keep going, that it would turn sour, then I just stop. But you've really got to see that play out for your own self and life. The simplest form of smokescreen is a facial expression. So one of the ways I do that is to not give away, like I don't, I don't sour my face, you know, I don't contort it like, wait a minute, really, I, I don't know. You know, I don't give anything away. <laughs> and so the simplest form of smokescreen is to just be aware of your facial expression. Studying communication and body language is so fucking key because of this reason. This law and so many other variations of this and then also the opposite side of getting information, like getting others to reveal their intentions, knowing or being able to deduce intentions as well is so key like it's just everything man information is everything the final point in the art of war is use spies effectively and it's all about gathering information so knowing communication and body language is so important because you can then begin to control your own and recognize the unconscious signals that others give out those honest signals right the things that leak out of them. <sighs> it takes patience and humility to be able to do that, by the way. To dull your colors and to not shout out like, this is what I'm trying to do. Because guess what? Not everybody's going to be into it. And also, the people who are into it may be envious that you're doing it or have done it or you know have even the energy or the will to do it. Trust me. I know. <laughs> Here's the reversal. As you get older and achieve success, uh, it often becomes increasingly difficult to disguise your cunning. So, you know, people will know what you're about. They'll be able to get clues the more time goes on. So you don't have to focus or give so much energy to trying to mute it. Just be aware, you know. Everyone knows you practice deception at that point or you're trying to deceive them or you're toning yourself down. Like if you show humility one time, people are like, oh, wow, that guy's really humble. If you do it again, they're going to be like, huh, I guess he is. A third time they're like, is he? And by the fifth time they're like, yeah, he is. But also there's a bit that's intentional. Like he's trying to be humble, you know. And then by the 20th time they're like, all right, dude, like you're, you know, this is by choice. <laughs> You're not, you are humble, but it's like, it's placid almost, you know, or it's a front. 
It's not a front, but it also is. <laughs> it's just better to own up and, in that sense, appear like an honest rogue. You know, so to those people who know the game you're playing because they've known you for so many years or your reputation precedes you in that way, it's like, yes, do it, right? Like, be humble and broadcast that because it's a positive attribute, right? Generally, people see it as such. But also give a little wink. Like, yes, I know you know I'm playing this game. And acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. Next one. Law 4.4. And then finally, we'll start jumping ahead to different points. Law 4. Always say less than necessary. The more you say, the more common you appear. The more you say the more likely you are to say something foolish. So this goes to the point just before. Conceal your intentions. What's one of the ways to do that? Always say less than necessary. You don't have to say everything you think. Just in general. You don't have to say everything you think. <laughs> you know, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to always complain. You don't have to do any of these things. Defend. Just... <sighs> You know, if you decide to even speak, because sometimes it makes sense not to speak at all. But if you do, measure yourself. Be aware. Move. Do it slowly so you can go step by step with every word you say and feel it out and decide, like, would speaking more really even say anything? You know, some books are like they make a main point. Many books. They make a main point, And then the other 180 pages is them just reiterating that point they just give tons of different examples or slightly give some variant of this main idea you know over and over and over and by the way the reason i wrote rare candy and why i wrote it the way i wrote it is because i wanted it to be the exact opposite of that i wanted it to be a multitude of very important points and just like boom sucker punch give all the information as possible in this condensed form you know clear to the point right there and then next one next one next one so i'm plugging right now if you like this if you like my style of teaching whatever if you assume that by knowing this maybe i know some other things that are worthwhile then i highly suggest you check out my book rare candy you can find the link to the pdf in the description of this episode. Let's move on. I want to tell you a little story about Henry Kissinger, and this comes from The 48 Laws of Power as well. Very brief, but I'm going to read it from the book. So, shifting over. One oft-told tale about Kissinger involved a reporter that Winston Lord had worked on for days. A report. After giving it to Kissinger, he got it back with the notation, is this the best you can do? Lord rewrote and polished and finally resubmitted it. Back it came with the same curt question. After drafting it one more time and once again getting the same question from Kissinger, Lord snapped, Damn it! Yes, this is the best I can do! To which Kissinger replied, Fine, then I guess I'll read it this time. So, there it is. I won't explain it. It's self-evident. <laughs> I'm going to say less than necessary. Uh, short answers and silences are super useful. It 
puts people on the defensive. It kind of gives you control of the frame. It makes people jump in and fill the silence with all kinds of comments, which generally reveal valuable information. You've heard, I'm sure, whoever speaks first in a negotiation loses. It's like getting the last laugh sort of thing, but up front. So people oftentimes, and I can concur, in my experience talking to girls, if there's ever a lull at all in a conversation and people are like, oh, this is awkward, if they get that sensation of, oh, this is awkward... They will try and fill the void with whatever bullshit they can. To relate it to speaking to girls, generally, in my experience, what it was, because it's different now, praise God, what it was was the girl would just immediately eject. But in a lot of instances, like not at a bar, you know, just some other setting, people will generally be nice. They will try and continue the conversation. And... If you can posture the conversation appropriately, you can get it to be such that they will jump in and say things that you want to hear. You know, just figure it out for yourself. Here's from the authority. The longer I keep quiet, the sooner others move their lips and teeth. I can thereby understand their real intentions. Yeah, yeah, man, let them do the talking. Let them do the talking. They will just blabber on and on and on and on. Most people love to hear their own voice, right? And if you let them keep going on and on, the more they speak, regardless of what it is, you will get more information. You can, it's like small talk, small talk is very valuable because you can understand what somebody's about, like their energy, their intention, you know, the vibe sort of thing. Uh, but their focus is what they're into, what they're not into, what makes them tick, how, you know, just like so many different levels of who they are just by small talk shit. And so imagine going beyond small talk if you can get them to talk on and on and on about their childhood. <laughs> you know, that will give you a lot of information about what they're into and what their weaknesses may be. The issues they have then will be probably with them at this point now. So that's just one example. The reversal is that there are times when it is unwise to be silent. Silence can arouse suspicion and even insecurity. So just be aware, you don't need to be creepy, quiet all the time. Uh, and you don't need to be Mr. Cool that never speaks. It's like, just measure yourself. And again, this is a law Yes, but consider it a tool. It's not the law. It's just law. That's what, what he called it. Consider these mental models and tools that you can use. You don't always need to be this way or that way or always focus on these things. Like the reversal for law one is you can't always be worried about upsetting everybody. So in the same way, you can't always try not to cross yourself when you're practicing these things. It's just is what it is. Is what it is. Robert Greene wrote this book after studying a lot of people and studying a lot of interactions. He saw these as patterns. And so they play out with pretty much everybody's relationships. And, uh, you know, you're not always going to get it right. And that's okay. 
you have to find that balance. Next up is law eight. Make other people come to you. Use bait if necessary. You are the one in control. That is generally it. The essence of power is the ability to keep the initiative and get others to react to your moves. You are the cause. You are the cause. They are the effect. Okay? Keep that in mind. You're the cause. They're the effect. They are reacting to your moves. You hold the frame. You are in control of the board. You are leading the game. They're trying to keep up. The reversal is there are opposite cases. The element of speed to intimidate and control, a rapid and unforeseen move, is terrifying and demoralizing. So rather than trying to get them to come to you, you go to them with such speed and ferocity that they become stunned. So instead of trying to get this home field advantage by them coming to your court, you go to their court and just annihilate, like, you know, annihilate. And you do it in such a way that it's like bombastic and they have no idea what to do. And then you just rip them to shred. Law 10. Infection. Avoid the unhappy and the unlucky. Emotional states are as infectious as diseases. That's pretty much all I need to say there. There is no reversal. Birds of a feather flock together. That sort of thing. Avoid the unhappy and the unlucky. Luck is a very unique thing. If I could, I would love to point you in the direction of Naval. If you look up Naval on Spotify, you will find, if you sort from oldest to newest, a great, great, great line of episodes where he just kind of lays out a lot of his mental models. And in one of those, or a section of those, he talks about luck. And I think it's really worthwhile for you to check that out. Luck is a very interesting thing. Next up, Law 11. Learn to keep people dependent on you. Make people depend on you for their happiness and prosperity, and you have nothing to fear. Oh, how true it is. It just makes sense, right? Like, if somebody has to rely on you to survive, especially, but really rely on you for anything, then you're in a position of power. To maintain your power, you've got to keep people dependent on you. You don't have to, but you kind of do. You know, don't be like this weird ruler guy who's like, oh, I've got all the keys to the castle, like bow down to me. But also be aware that by putting yourself in a position of abundance and being able to provide that for other people who don't have it will put you in a position of power. And they're going to want to keep you alive and well and healthy because you got the goods and you're bringing it to the table. And if something were to happen to you, that means something would happen to them because the supply of water would run dry. The ultimate power is the power to get people to do as you wish. The best way to achieve this position is to create a relationship of dependence, right? Like, fuck, look at the term whipped. Guys are hypnotized by a woman's body and what it can do for him, you know, all the feelings. And so she says, hey, will you go throw this away from me? Will you go get this thing? And most guys don't have any backbone. They're just like, yes. Yes, because otherwise it would mean that she's going to deny you access 
to her sweet, sensual, you know, everything later on and they just can't stand it. Most guys are dependent on sex and sensuality from their girlfriend that they've lost all self-esteem and self-respect and will to do anything or not do anything because they're dependent. So just see that as the perfect analogy, right? Here's from the authority. He who has slacked his thirst immediately turns his back on the well. You've got to drink to live, right? Thirst. You have to drink to live. And yet, the moment you've satisfied your thirst, you turn your back on the very thing which has given you life. The reversal. Interdependence remains the law. Independence, a rare and often fatal exception. So, those people who are dependent upon you, you're dependent upon them. I kind of mentioned that in the last episode. I didn't kind of. I did mention it. You need them just as much as they need you, but in a different way and in a different intensity. You've got to have your community. You may have everything you need to survive, right? Like you may say you had unlimited food, you had unlimited water, you had shelter down. Great. But if you're alone up in the mountains, you could kind of go crazy. (laughs) You know, like you need other people, regardless of what position they're in. You just need the rest of humanity to be alive for you to survive. That's, um, I think, the first episode of the twilight zone is some dudes like all alone on earth. He's the only man on earth and he just goes crazy and he can't take it. You know, he's fine, but there's no people. So he loses it. Right. Uh, next up is 16. 16 is use absence to increase respect and honor. Too much circulation makes the price go down. Create value through scarcity. It's as simple as that. Uh, supply and demand, you know, Here's from Mullah Jami. A man said to a dervish, why do I not see you more often? The dervish replied, because the words, why have, I, why have you not been seen to me, are sweeter to my ears than the words, why have you come again? I mentioned this one in the first episode. It relates to both. The reversal is the law only applies once a certain level of power has been gained. So if you just disappear off the map before you've even done anything, nobody's going to (laughs) notice. You've got to wait till you have some, you know, honor, some fame and some credibility. Next up is 17. Keep others in suspended terror. Cultivate an air of unpredictability. Your predictability gives them a sense of control. So turn the tables. Be deliberately unpredictable. Again, this is about frame and about Uh, You know, as it relates to, what was it? Law three. Yes. Concealing your intentions. So by keeping others in suspended terror, by cultivating an air of unpredictability, they don't know your intentions. They don't know what you're going to do next. And that's generally terrifying. If you see... Oh, what's what's a creepy animal? If you... I don't know. If you saw some creepy animal... But you knew generally like it is not going to hurt you. You're not going to be worried. But imagine the people who saw that animal for the very first time. They were like, oh my God, what is this thing? What's it going to do to me? You know, I'm shaking in my boots. We got to get out of here. Right? 
so in the same way, the things that we grow comfortable with, we're not afraid of because we know how it goes. We know what it's about and it's, it's going to be the same, right? <laughs> like the past will become the future. But if there is an unpredictable element to it, then there is this bit of hesitance or fear, uneasiness that remains because it's a wild card. We don't know what it's going to do. And so in the same way, in your generally life, general life, everything, you've got to be somewhat unpredictable because otherwise people will know what you're going to do at all times. They're going to be able to guess. And the moment they can do that, you've lost a bit of power. The reversal. Sometimes predictability can work in your favor. By creating a pattern for people to be familiar and comfortable with, you can lure them to sleep. So if somebody knows what you're about at all times, they can guess what you're going to do every time they know just what you'll do, then they're not worried about you. So that might be the exact thing you want them to feel. Don't worry about me. I'm not a threat. Meanwhile, you are the most dangerous thing in the room. You have the most insane intentions, you know, you're going to turn the tables and just cause destruction, uh, revolution. So sometimes it is in your favor. Next up is law 19. Know who you're dealing with. Do not offend the wrong person. Deceive or outmaneuver some people and they will spend the rest of their lives seeking revenge. This basically relates to law one. Don't outshine the master. But in this point, it doesn't even have to be the master. It doesn't even have to be your boss. It could be an associate. It could be your peer. If you make somebody feel hurt, there's a possibility that they will come after you forever until they get revenge. Never assume that the person you're dealing with is weaker or less important to you than you. Because even if they are, they may not always be. If you think they are, they might not be. It's like, don't get into a fight ever in public, you know, just like with a random person, because you have no idea how good of a fighter they may be. I'm sure you've seen videos like some dude goes up to some other dude and pushes him around thinking he's just like pipsqueak. And then the guy pulls some crazy moves and just takes him down to the floor in seconds because one guy's trained, the other guy's not. And the guy who's not thought he was big and bad because the other guy was shorter and skinnier, whatever. So he thought he had him, right? No. And in the same way, all of your life, it is entirely possible that by offending somebody, you could create an enemy for life. There's nothing to be gained by insulting a person unnecessarily. You just create an enemy. Now, is there utility to an enemy? Yes, I mentioned that before. Does it make sense to be an enemy with everybody? No. Does it make sense to have enemies all over the place? No. <laughs> Don't be an idiot. Don't be an asshole. Key to power. The ability to measure people and know who you're dealing with is one of the most important skills of all in gathering and conserving power. From the book itself, Robert Greene says, one of the most important skills for being able to gain and conserve power. Now, I want to make a point. Robert Greene used those two words, and that's really one of the big reasons why I decided to 
read the book that way for myself and also to present the book this way to you. He mentions gaining and conserving power. So obviously, those are two elements of the game of power. You have to gain it. That's what episode one, part one is about. And you have to conserve it, which is this part, maintaining power. So don't disregard these rules. Don't think like, oh yeah, I'm only concerned with gaining power. No, you've got to defend it too, or rather conserve it, maintain, which is what this one's about. Next up, oh yeah, there's no reversal. (laughs) Next up, law 20. Do not commit to anyone. It is the fool who always rushes to take sides. Plain and simple. It is the fool who always rushes to take sides. There's two parts to this rule. And the first one is you should allow yourself to be courted by everybody. If you allow people to feel that they possess you to any degree, you lose all power over them. Again, think of a man who is whipped. Do you think that woman has respect for that man? No, because he's a slave to a part of her body. Of course he's not going to stand up for himself in any other way. You know, like, of course he's not going to have the willpower to get anything done. He's a slave to me. (laughs) So if anybody ever feels like they have any degree of control over you, they will lose all respect and power. Uh, uh, Respect and, like, willingness to yield to your power. So allow yourself to be courted by everybody. Don't commit to anyone. Desire is like a virus. If we see something that some, if we see that somebody is desired by other people, we tend to find this person desirable too. The moment you commit, the magic is gone. Right? If you commit, then people know they've got you. They got you in the bag. They don't need to work for it anymore. You know, they don't have to show up. They've just, they've already got you. Why worry? Why treat you with respect? You are theirs. <laughs> Um, yeah. Part two is stay above the fray. So if there is peace in the court, then don't, don't commit. Let everybody court you. And on the other hand, if there is war in the court, stay above the fray. You don't need to get involved. You don't need to rush to a side. Personal opinion Um, I saw something I read once and I totally agree with it. And it was just this line that said, you're not required to post your opinion about every single political event that happens. You're just not. Regardless of how you feel about it, if you feel something or don't feel anything, it doesn't matter. You don't have to post every single time. (laughs) You don't have to rush to a certain side to show I'm on this team or I'm on that team. You just don't. (sighs) Yeah, there's benefits to signaling that you're part of a certain clan because now that clan recognizes you, right? But there's also detriments. You signal to the other half of the population that, hey, I'm not on your team, we're combatants. So every time you see me, put up a fight, right? Like, that's kind of a nuisance. So, yeah, you just don't have to do that. Holding back from the fray allows you time to position yourself to take advantage of the situation once one side starts to lose. So imagine blue team is starting to win the game. If you immediately, as yellow team, say, I'm allying with blue team. But then on the second half, red team comes out of nowhere and gets a giant lead. 
and you say, oh, well, I'm yellow. I was never, you know, really blue. Red's going to be like, no, no. You said you're blue team. You're on their team. So when we annihilate reds, we're going to take out yellows too. (laughs) Or when we annihilate blues, we're going to take out yellows too. It gives you time to position and to decide once things are completely clear, once the game is drawing to a close definitively, how you want to play. Remember, you only have so much energy and so much time. Every moment wasted on the affairs of others subtracts from your strength. So that's another thing too. It's like you're getting emotionally involved with these things when you declare that you're on a certain side. Like one time I was at a bar and this girl was drunk like, no, nothing happened. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. This girl was just drunk, and she started yelling, fuck Trump. And, yeah, okay, that may be how you feel, but, like, there was no reason for it. She was just generally, like, she couldn't exist without energetically being in such a low state that she had to, like, complain, right? And it could have been about anything. It, Trump, you know, fuck him regardless, It could have been anything. But the fact that she couldn't even enjoy a night with her friends at the bar without like, fuck Trump, you know, Trump's the worst. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Trump's not here. Nobody, like, nobody's wearing a Trump shirt. Nobody's wearing a Trump, nobody did anything. Nobody said anything. (laughs) Why are you, why are you upset? (sighs) Yeah. You only have so much energy and so much time. So don't throw it away every instance that there's something new to be upset about reversal both parts of this law will turn against you if you take it too far the game proposed here is delicate and difficult so you know if you wait too long to declare a side and you try and do it at the end both sides be like no fuck you you played the lone wolf you are the lone wolf you don't get to join our team like you don't get to reap the rewards if you didn't help us work for it, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a delicate game. And like I said in the beginning, you've got to see this in your own life to understand the nuances and really respect and understand how these laws play out and how you can play them out in your own life. Law 23. Law 23, I'm just going to let you know right now, is going to be in all three of these episodes. I already talked about it. And I assume that if you're listening to this episode, you have also or will also listen to the first episode of 48 Laws of Power. So I'm actually not going to get into it. I'm just going to tell you what it is and say that it is my favorite, or at least top three, of my favorite laws of the 48 Laws of Power. Law 23 is concentrate your forces. You've got to concentrate, man. You've got to be so fully focused on the one thing, the golden goose. Like, if you have a flock of geese and one of them is a golden goose, are you going to spend all of your energy trying to feed every single goose? Or would it be wiser to sell all the other geese and treat the golden goose like a king or queen, rather, Because it is laying eggs. Uh, And also, whatever. (laughs) Of course, it makes more sense to focus on the golden goose. 
Yeah. Next up is Law 26. Aha. Law 26. Keep your hands clean. Maintain such a spotless appearance by using others as scapegoats. It's really that simple. You know, sometimes getting your hands dirty is not the right course of action. You just shouldn't, you know. It, that one should be obvious. <sighs> Let's see. There's two parts to this law as well. Uh, I have something highlighted here, but I'm not entirely sure how it relates to this law. I think I just liked the quote. <clears throat> Yeah. Here's the authority. Do everything pleasant yourself, everything else unpleasant through third parties. This has to be used, here's the reversal. This has to be used with extreme caution and delicacy. For obvious reasons. You've got to you've got to do it well, right? Like you're doing this thing under the table. You're using a third party to do your dirty work. Obviously, you can't be sloppy in employing the third party. And, uh, you know, the execution and the public, the publicization, publicization, publicis, whatever, of the results. And also, you know, just like treating them well, right? Like, because if you ever become enemies with the person who did your dirty work well guess what they know the secrets of your authority they know what you paid for to get done and they can just say it they can flat out say hey the king has done this he hired me to do this so let's all revolt (laughs) coming up on the last few points here law 36 is disdain things you cannot have Ignoring them is the best revenge. By acknowledging a petty problem, you give it existence and credibility. Yeah. Uh, By acknowledging other people, even if you only fight with them, you open yourself up to their influence. But also, you give them a platform to stand on. It's like... (sighs) By acknowledging somebody as a problem, you acknowledge them as a problem. But if you just kind of brush it off and like don't even notice it, it's like, oh, you spent so much energy trying to hurt me and it meant nothing. (laughs) You know, you have no power here. But if I acknowledge, if you kick me and I say, oh, oh, how could you? How could you? It hurts so bad. Like, why would you kick me? Oh, you, you, you dirty. Ouch, it's so painful. Then it's like everybody looking is like, whoa. That guy's a really strong kicker. That guy is powerful. He hurt the king, <laughs> you know? But if you're just like, meh, chop his head off. <laughs> you know, it does. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that. But if you just brush off the problem, you don't give as much credence to the troublemaker. Here's a little quote by Idris Shah. Kick him, he'll forgive you. Flatter him. He may or not he may or may not see through you, but ignore him and he'll hate you. Ignoring is an extremely powerful thing. And it has consequences both ways. If you ignore somebody when they try and hurt you, it could discourage them. It could be like, fuck, like, ugh, you know. And especially for myself, 
I know 100% that a lot of times girls who are not into you will just ignore you. Like not even ignore you. They won't even acknowledge you because ignoring is like, oh, yeah, I see you, but I don't care. Not even acknowledging is like, I don't even see you at all. (laughs) It's like it's the, the ultimate deterrent. You know, it's like, oh, I okay, I see how it is. (laughs) but the power in ignoring comes from this as it relates to the image from the book a tiny wound if you get a little cut and you ignore it and you leave it it will heal no problem but imagine if you got a tiny cut and every time throughout the entire healing process every time you noticed it you picked at it suddenly that tiny wound will become much bigger and it could potentially become infected and lead to much bigger problems Here's the reversal. Most small troubles will vanish on their own if you leave them be, but some will grow and fester unless you attend to them. So say you get a tiny cut and it gets infected right away. Yes, you've got to deal with it. You can't just ignore it. But if you get a tiny cut and it's fine, then just ignore it. Let it heal. Learn to distinguish between the potentially disastrous and the mildly uh, irritating. (laughs) I'm losing it here at the end. Oh, man, an hour of talking, you know, it's like, it's a whole thing. I hope you enjoy this podcast because (laughs) it takes work, man. It takes some uh, fucking work, boy. Obviously, I'm ready to get to the end of this one. I got three more points. Here they are. Law 45 is... Preach the need for change, but never reform too much at once. It boils down to this. Too much innovation is traumatic. Boom. The man who initiates strong reforms often becomes the scapegoat for any kind of dissatisfaction. So, first of all, changing too much at once is like, it's traumatic for people. But also, even if somebody does want a change to happen, if you're the front man for it, if you're the face for the change, and it turns out, yeah, you know what, this change wasn't so good, like, I don't really like this deal, they're going to blame you, the face of it, as the problem. A quote from Niccolo Machiavelli. It must be considered that there is nothing more difficult to carry out, no more doubtful of success, no more dangerous to handle than to initiate a new order of things. Oh, how true it is. And yet, a simple gesture like using an old title or keeping the same number for a group will tie you to the past and support you with the authority of history. So, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this. Yes, I did, in the last one. Great, I didn't even notice. It's an anchor. If you use some element of the past when you initiate something new, like a number then you anchor yourself to the good times of the past. Again, I highly recommend you listen to the previous episode of How to Gain Power, part one of the 48 Laws of Power. Completely different set of laws. I've only repeated, I think, three here, uh, and they relate to both of them, so that's why I'm doing that. But don't think that because you're hearing this, you're hearing all the laws. You have to listen to all three parts to hear every single law. Okay, so the reversal for Law 45 is that the past is a corpse to be used as you see fit. If what happened in the recent past was painful and harsh, it is self-destructive to associate yourself with it. Duh. Law 46, never appear too perfect. 
Envy creates silent enemies. Straight up, envy creates silent enemies. I read one time that uh, genius is treason. Think about that. Key to power. The human animal has a hard time dealing with feelings of inferiority. It's as simple as that. If you are perfect, you're going to make others feel inferior. They're going to get upset about it. If it's not envy, then it's jealousy or hate. And, you know, you're going to come out on the bottom, ultimately, because of that. If you make the mob mad, they'll come for you. As Thoreau once said, envy is the tax which all distinction must pay. Pretty elegant quote. From the authority, upon occasion, reveal a harmless defect in your character. So intentionally, go out of your way. Even if you, you know, mess up or do something terrible, like, let it be known. Let the world see that, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm just like you. (laughs) So, uh, you know, don't kill me. Mm. Excuse me. From the reversal. If you attain a position of impeachable power, their envy will have no effect on you. So, yeah, if you get to that point where, you know, you are perfect, like you've got it all, but you are of such high power that nobody can touch you, then it's okay. You don't have to, like, set yourself up to give pub these public displays worthy of humiliation or, you know, show that you failed at this. You don't have to show those defects if you're untouchable, you know. Finally, Law 48. This is the only other law besides Law 23, which is mentioned in every single point. Law 48 is assume formlessness. By taking a shape, you open yourself up to attack. It's as simple as that. When you show what you're about, what you're going to do, what your plans are, here's the size of your army, here's what you're capable of doing, here's all the units within this army, then the enemy can say, oh, they don't have any, you know, sea capabilities, so we're going to attack by sea and they won't even be able to touch us. Or, oh, they have no air defense, so we're just going to fight from the air and they're not going to be able to touch us, we'll annihilate them. Assume formlessness. Again, as it relates to taking a side, you don't have to rush to any side. Because the moment you join the red team, guess what? Your red team, blue team, will recognize you as such. But if you do not, if you have no form, you're just there. Like, again, you only have so much time and energy. If blue team knows they have to kill red team and you're not red team, then they probably won't waste any time or energy dealing with you because they've got to tend to the other team, (laughs) you know? So these laws relate to everything, business, every kind of relationship, all of it, relationships with your intimate partner, whatever. This is it, man. This is it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've got one more episode coming, which is part Tres, how to defend power. Excited for that one. I hope you've enjoyed these thus far. After this series, I'm going to bring on the very first guest. And I'm very excited. It is Grit Cult. You'll learn more about it when that day comes. Until then, peace out. You be good. Pray to Jesus. Eat your vegetables, you know. Just, it's all right.